Today we're going to be beginning our sermon series that's entitled Fearless. And today our focus is on hope. We're going to be focusing on those traditional aspects of Advent. And today it's hope. You've lit the hope candle this morning. Now I want to put the 41st chapter of Isaiah into a context. You know, if I could title this sermon this morning, it would be Hope by Way of 41. Okay? Hope by Way of 41. And what we see here in this text that we're reading this morning is that Israel has been overrun by, not by their arch enemies, the Assyrians, who had sacked them once before, but this was the new empire on the block kid, the Babylonians. And the Babylonians had not only defeated Israel, but there had been a mass deportation of Israel's inhabitants that was coupled with the immigration of the victors from Babylonia into their land. And it had marked and identified them in their own eyes as losers. And they were very, very fearful. Not knowing what the future would hold. Not knowing what to do next. And it's in that spirit of of looking at the context of, of Isaiah 41 that I want us to go there. And I want us to think about when we have been in a situation where we have been fearful. Maybe we felt like losers. Maybe we were, were there because of some kind of defeat we had suffered or some sort of, of, um, of situation that we couldn't control. And fear was driving things. What I want us to see this morning is Isaiah 41 comes to us in the midst of the darkness of the Israelites, but it comes to us today in the midst of what we may be experiencing as darkness or what we know someone we love is experiencing as darkness. So I want us to turn to Isaiah, the 41st chapter, and I want to read this text to you this morning. Let's stand out of love and respect for God's holy word. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Yeah, let's be seated.
I want us to glean from this text this morning a couple of things. And the first thing I want us to understand is who God understands us to be through the words of the prophet Isaiah. God says, I mean, God knows we're fearful. God knows that aspect of human nature. But God says to us, you are my chosen. You are my servant. You are Jacob who struggles with me, who engages me, who has time for me. That's who you are. And I guess for us to get in touch with what it means to be chosen, we, we need to understand what it doesn't mean to be chosen, okay? To be chosen does not mean that we are set apart because we are better than other people, all right? To be chosen doesn't mean that the chosen are the only ones with certain privileges, prestige, and power. To be chosen doesn't mean a one-up position from which we can look down on others. You see, God wants us to understand first and foremost to be chosen is to understand ourselves as a child of God and that God has chosen us and hopes that we choose God so that we will follow his will and his way. That's it. So Isaiah's prophecy reminds us that being chosen and being a servant cannot be separated. You understand? If you're chosen, you're also a servant. And to be chosen is to be set apart for a sacred responsibility that involves serving God. Now hear that. A sacred responsibility that involves serving God. And serving God involves loving God and also loving our sisters and brothers as God's precious children, whether they're believers or not. Now today, what complicates our understanding of being chosen and servant is that, that we tend to focus more on choosing rather than being chosen. We live in a culture that's saturated with choice, right? I mean, we have choices, so many choices, I can hardly name them. I'll name a few. I mean, we have choices in supermarkets. We have choices in automobile markets, in entertainment markets, in broadcast markets. We even talk about the church in market terms today. We talk about shopping for a church, church shopping. You heard that term before? Use that term before? Yeah. And in what we typically mean, and when it gets involved in the church, then that's when we get on a little slippery slope. What we mean when we say we are in the market for is that we're shopping for something that fits us. And oftentimes when we, we talk in terms of the church related to this market, we're, we're looking for a church that will serve us, right? That will serve our needs and the needs of our family, right? When at best we should be looking for a church, a community of believers where we can serve, where we can best serve, which seems to be what we need, how we need to be challenged, how we need to be um, uh, grown in the faith. And, and, and it's about a place where we know God can use us best. That's church shopping at its best when we're looking for that place where we know we'll be used the greatest by God. Our prayer should really be, God, choose a church for me, for us, where we can serve you. 
Sarah Luganville, you know her, works with our youth, our young adults, married to Scott. Sarah and Scott have Grayton. I think Grayton's about three or four years old, four years old. And Bryson, their new baby. Sarah's been on maternity leave for like a year and a half. She's in the back. Sarah, I miss you. Come back. I'm going to be cranky until you return. And Scott also on paternity leave. And, and, and these two have meant so much to the ministry of this church. And, and Sarah, she decides to go on an outing and share her outing um, about their traditional cutting down of the Christmas tree and to share it on social media, which I talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago. Now, this is the way to do it. Sarah writes, we are out for our annual tradition of cutting down a Christmas tree, and there was a group of special students from a school. Grayton, four years old, was studying them. And then she turned to me and said, Mom, they are different, but we treat them all the same. Sarah said, I have the gift of attending a church that embraces diversity of all kinds. Differently abled, colors, backgrounds, countries, political views, ages, ideals, the list goes on and on. We don't all agree, but as different as we are, my child has learned that we treat everyone the same. Thank you, Lover's Lane, for helping teach my child such an incredible lesson. Now listen. She said, looking for a place that embraces diversity, isn't perfect, and is striving to always love better and serve more than see you on Sunday at Lover's Lane. Now, friends, that's the way to use social media. When you can share how your church is helping you and your children to love better and serve more, then what a testimony that is to someone who's reading your mail. I said I could have changed the title of this sermon to 41, Isaiah 41. And yesterday when I was working on this sermon in the wee hours of the morning, because I had a very busy Saturday and I needed to get this thing done, you know, get it all wrapped up, bow on top, ready to go. I made the mistake of turning television on at 4 o'clock in the morning. And already on every station that was on at that time, there was the report of the 41st president of the United States having died just hours before. President George Herbert Walker Bush, the 41st president of the United States, at the age of 94, was dead. 
And, and, and I, I got caught up watching all of these wonderful reflections and, and, um, and remembrances of, of George Bush. And here I am working on, on, on this sermon about uh, what it means to be chosen is what it means to be a servant. And, and I was hearing reflections of one who got it right. Now I can talk about George Herbert Walker Bush from the pulpit and know whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent or Libertarian, you're probably not going to be bad at me. And at the end of this week, we will have heard so many stories about George Herbert Walker Bush that I hope that you hear those stories. I'm trying to influence you to hear those stories with what's behind those stories is a person who lived out his faith and his dedication as one who got it what it means to be chosen and a servant. I was first taken by his recalling of that time when he was 20 years old and the pilot on a bombing mission when his plane was shot down. And he had two crew members and he told them all to eject. And of course he was the only one who survived. And he was recalling how, how he would wake up at night thinking about that scene and, and, and really wondering what he might could have done. But then he shared his humanity. He shared about waiting to be picked up in the Pacific Ocean there off of that little island. He said, I was crying. I was scared. I was 20 years old. And I was afraid. You know, oftentimes you think about a president who's a hero in, in that way, and, and, and you, you just have all of these kind of glowing, heroic, courageous um, images. And, and George Bush said, I'm just like you. I was crying because I was so afraid. And, and then I heard more stories about his integrity and his deep spirituality. And I heard about one of his great achievements, the ratification of the American Disabilities Act that has made such a huge impact on our world, our country. How he oversaw the fall of the Berlin Wall and the careful and honorable work that he had with Mikhail Gorbachev to make sure that that transition was peaceful and he wasn't going to gloat because he'd been taught as a child in church by his mom not to gloat. He would also didn't want to dance on the Berlin Wall as it was coming down. When Saddam Hussein overran Kuwait, you know, George Bush built a coalition of countries who said that's wrong. And the liberation of Kuwait was not done, you know, just out of our own country responding to such a conflict, but by the unity that he'd built with others. And of course, many of us here today know George Bush by one thing that he was even maybe the proudest of, and that was what? A thousand points of light. When he was defeated by Bill Clinton, the one request that he had of President Clinton was continue a thousand points of light and 
Bill Clinton did. And then these two, once political foes, uh, became good friends. And, and George W. Bush brought the two of them together to deal with, with heartbreaking tragedy in the world. First the tsunami and then Katrina. And these unlikely uh, friends became partners in what it means to be chosen and what it means to be servant. And in so doing, became an example of what it means to be leader. And for those of us who know where that comes from, what it means to be Christian. This week, when you hear the reflections on George Bush's life, don't forget the church and his family churchgoers who instilled those values of chosen and servant in him. You know, the proclamation that we hear from Isaiah, the 41st chapter this morning, leads us to a promise of a lasting hope. One of the greatest acts of service is when we can convey hope to another. Those of us who get what God is calling us to, to be chosen, to be servant, and who have experienced the hope that God has brought to our lives through that understanding of, do not be afraid, I'm with you, I'm your God. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. I'll strengthen you, I'll help you. You know, in getting ready to be with you today, I went to a place I really wasn't too excited to go to, and it was the most fearful time in my life. It was a time when I, like George Bush, I cried. I was afraid. I wasn't 20 years old, but I was 26. And I'd been facing terminal leukemia. And I got a deep muscle injection every day, and an infection had set up and I'd had surgery and the infection was still there and it was awful. I remember it was Advent season. It was just a few days before Christmas and I was in the hospital. I felt rotten physically and spiritually and emotionally. Zach who was nearly four years old and Tammy had just been in to see me and I could see when Zach saw me the pain in his eyes I didn't want him feeling bad for his daddy I'll have to say when they left I was glad they left it was cold outside in Houston it was in the 20s pipes were breaking all over the city including in the Copeland household and I couldn't do a thing about it I felt helpless and useless and lonely and you name it. I was in a bad place. And I was trying to pray. When a nurse burst into my room. She had a little metal box. It said radioactive. 
And then she put on some gloves. And she took out a syringe. And she said, the doctor has ordered a bone scan. We need to see if the infection's gone to your bone. And then she put that, um, that injection into the line. And she shot that radioactive stuff into me. And then she said, have a good night and left. Have a good night. I was afraid. You know, when, you, when you're dealing with cancer and something goes wrong and you can't get a hold of it, you just think the worst. And then later that night, a tap at the door. And in walks Dick Zopa from the church. Dick was a small group leader. He was a layman. He carried a Bible to church every Sunday, and he had it with him that night. Dick had a big beard and always a smile. And professionally, he sold medical equipment. And he said, Stan, how are you doing? And I didn't have to answer. He knew. So I decided to tell him my story about the radioactive box nurse. And he listened. And then he smiled and he said, you know, that's just like an internal x-ray, don't you? It's not really that big a deal, but it's just one more thing, right? And I said, yeah, right. And we visited and with every passing minute, fear started to fade and hope came into my life. Before he left, we were even laughing and crying. And he said, Stan, I... I want to read a passage of scripture. I said, sure. Thinking all the time, hey, that's my line. I'm supposed to be on that side of the bed. How are you doing? I want to read a passage of scripture. Can I pray with you? And he opened to Isaiah 41. And he read... You are my servant, preacher. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand and then he prayed with me I can't remember what he prayed 
And after he prayed with me, he said, I've got a poem. Can I share this with you? And I said, sure. I mean, not only has he become my pastoral care preacher, but now he's preaching. He's got three points in a poem. (laughs) And he read this. I ask the Lord to bless you as I prayed for you today. To guide you and protect you as you go along the way. His love is always with you. His promises are true. And when we give him all our cares, you know, he'll he'll see us through. So when the road you're traveling on seems difficult at best, just remember I'm praying. And God will do the rest. Now, I said a few weeks ago I was going to end sermons with an assignment. So if you can't remember it, you may need to get your pen out. There's someone in your life right now who needs a message of hope. And just as I spoke it, I know the Holy Spirit's calling that person to your mind who needs hope. I want to pray that God will empower you as his chosen one, as his servant, to be that messenger of hope, just like Dick was for me. And then however you convey that hope, maybe it's as simple as a reminder that you've prayed for that person. And I'll post this little prayer on the website if you wanted to share it with somebody. be used by God this week do what God is putting on your heart for that one that God is putting on your heart and know that you will not only have been a blessing to them and maybe have brought them out of their fear but you too will be blessed empower your people Lord your chosen ones your servants to serve others in your name to be your hope to those who are consumed by fear Amen